it's not necessarily an argument as much as it is um, I'm a big believer in purpose. I don't believe that there are any accidents. Um, whether you're a religious person or not, you believe in the universe, if there's something bigger than us. Um, and because I don't believe that there are any accidents, that there are no coincidences, that everything happens for a reason, that that purpose is something that you have to look out for. And this particular part of my life um, was sort of, it was just a huge ball of lessons for me. And to look back on it now and see all the purpose in it puts me in a place where I'm here in front of you trying to communicate the story so you can also see the purpose in it. So let me talk to you about some things that just aren't accidental. In 2002, I found out I was going to be a dad. I found out I was gonna be a dad from my ex-girlfriend two weeks after we broke up. Hey, listen, you're gonna be a dad. Oh, really, here we go. Okay, gotta do the right thing, get back together with her. Three weeks after that, I was in one of my martial arts classes and I found a little lump in my throat. But as a young man, people are like, ah, yeah, no big deal, it's just a little bump. About a month after that, going to have the bump biopsy, turns out I have thyroid cancer. So now we're in a three month period where, oh, hey, guess what, you're gonna be a dad. Guess what, now you gotta figure it out with the chick. And guess what, now you're gonna deal with thyroid cancer. So they call it the good cancer. And it was, I, I find that God has a sense of humor here because he gave me the type of cancer that made me hormonal. So <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out what it's like to be a dad, figure out, oh my God, I've got cancer. And I did the one thing you're not supposed to do when you get sick and go home and Google it. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. And I had a little bit of medical knowledge, which, you know, oh, I, I started contemplating life. And obviously it wasn't that, but I got in the freak out mode. Anyways, while this is going on, um, my grandmother goes into the hospital for a routine back surgery. During this back surgery, there was a simple breakdown of communication. Somebody got overwhelmed and forgot to pick up a phone. It resulted in the crash unit not coming to save my grandmother and she passed away. It was a huge medical error. Big lawsuit, millions of dollars, went back to the hospital to teach. Okay, keep in mind, when I'm talking to you, this is not a pity story. Okay, this is... <laughs> There's purpose in all of it, right? So that happened to Jackson. Now, let's scramble back a little bit. Talk about purpose and accidents and how things just... <laughs> While all this is going on, I'm trying to graduate college. Okay, because I tell you that for a couple reasons. One, I want you to relate to me. I am an adult learner. I get it. Not only was I an adult learner, but I am an adult learner now. Okay. Not only am I an adult learner, but I am an alumnus from Barry University. Not only am I an alumnus from Barry University, but I met my baby mama in the death and dying class at Barry University with this one. <laughs> okay, I, I, and I don't know the grand purpose in it, okay? I'll never profess that, but I, like, it just can't, it's not accidental that all of those things, and now I'm here, <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to fit in. I, you were a great student. I hope so. I think I, I hope so. Done. Yeah, I really, I mean, the class ended up, I ended up becoming a hospice volunteer. Like, you just really never know. But so 
here's Joel trying to figure out what it's like to deal with cancer. I feel like, well, my God, I'm going to be a dad, but all right, grandmother's in the hospital. Whoa. Justin's born early. Early babies typically have excess bilirubin, so early babies are told, you know, they're a little yellow. They're jaundice. So, Justin was born four pounds, something ounces, and very yellow, but seemingly happy. Nurses say, take him out of the sun. Make sure he's in the sun. Make sure he's in the sun. Okay. I get through the radiation treatment. Grandmother's still in the hospital at this point. And we get to Justin's three-month checkup, and the doctor says, you know, they do that echo test? You know, the tap on your stomach? It's amazing that in today's medicine, with all the advances, I know, and they that they're still doing this obnoxious echo test, right? But <laughs> the liver's a huge organ, and it's hollow. As long as it's hollow, you're typically good. Doctor does the echo test on Justin. Another echo test. Now it's getting our attention. Like, man, why do you keep tapping on my boy? Like, come on, dude. You need to go to Jackson. You need to go to where? <laughs> Jackson. Mind you, I grew up in Hollywood. Okay, the guy you see standing here today is not the guy you see growing up at that point in my life um, or a long time ago. I was in gangs and just I had a, a punk ass attitude I'm telling you that because it's relevant here in a few days. So <laughs> doctor says you got to go to Jackson now coming from Hollywood and having to go to Miami. It's like a different world. Okay, I'm, I'm a grown up now and going to Miami is a different world. But back then it's like, huh. I don't want to go down there. And I got to go to where? Jackson? Where my grandmother's at? Oh, now, to make some more stuff up in the story, 15 years ago, before my son was born, my baby niece passed away, okay, in Jackson's. It's just a spooky place. Now, that facility in general is a spooky place, but here we go. Get down to the hospital, and they sit us in front of a bunch of doctors. Now, one of the things that I can look back on now and didn't know then was... When your body goes through some kind of physical trauma or your body goes through some kind of huge emotional trauma, your brain treats it the same and you get this surreal emotional bubble. Okay. The good thing about that is that you don't feel too much overwhelming emotion. The bad thing about that is it sort of gets rid of your critical awareness. And that's important because now I'm sitting in front of a team of physicians that are telling me my son needs a liver transplant, but we don't want to do the liver transplant yet. We want to do what's called a Kasai procedure. Pretty simple. Let's go back to what's going on with Justin. Justin has a disease called biliary artresia. If you were to take a picture of the liver in the simplest forms, I'm not gonna try to draw it, you see my handwriting. Um, it's like a tree, it's a filtration system. And it filters out blood and whatever stuff the liver needs to do. And in Justin's it had collapsed, like an alcoholic and started to cirrhose the liver. So the doctors thinking that we need to wait for Justin to get older to do the liver transplant because that was the thought back then. They, he was the second youngest baby ever. Remember, we're having this conversation about a three-month-old baby. Okay, so what do you want to do? They want to take tubes from his intestines and just rehook it up to the liver so the blood flows through it. I mean, it's, I don't think there's anyone in here who doesn't understand that process. And in the simplest forms, the liver transplant world is... Just a plug and play. Okay, go ahead. So four hours later, the doctors come back and they're sitting in front of us. Sorry, it didn't work. <laughs> what do you mean it didn't work? Well, 
his liver is too cirrhosed. So at the point I had enough information to realize that, wait a minute, this is a pretty sophisticated facility. You have very basic scanning devices that can see if a liver is too cirrhosed or not. How come you didn't know that going in? Well, now with a bit of a different look at it, that's what practicing medicine is about. <laughs> His liver probably looks a little too cirrhosed, but maybe let's try it. He's going to need the transplant anyways. Can you imagine having that conversation with a parent? But looking at it today, maybe that process saved 15 lives. I, I don't know. So, what do we do next? Well, we get him a liver transplant. Okay, so let's go. Well, we gotta wait. What do you mean we gotta wait? Well, we don't have an organ. <laughs> so, I, what I love about talking to adults is that you guys all can relate to what I'm gonna say next. You guys remember the movie John Q with Denzel Washington? It was out then. And that kid from Hollywood I was telling you about, now he's starting to gear up. What do you mean we don't have an organ? You got to get an organ. I mean, there's people dying. Like, it's, well, where's the, where's the organ? We don't have any. You got to wait. Well, what do you mean? What do we got to wait? You, know, you got to go home. Go home. And I stood up. And my ex was just laughing at me about this the other day. And she's like, oh, you, you made the doctors real nervous. Because the Hollywood jumps out at me, right? And I'm not used to that. Why can't we get an organ? We just can't. Right? And it's not their fault. This is a system, right? Communication breakdown cost my grandmother her life in that facility. And because of broken communication, now I got to watch my son go through something. Like legit, got to wait. Average wait time is 90 days. Average wait time then is 90 days. Average wait time today is 89. So we go home, and as amazing as the body is, the liver's starting to harden up, so what, do, what would you do if your stomach starts to harden up? You start to arch back, right? And I mentioned that surreal feeling you get in that sort of emotional bubble because that trauma for me with the cancer of my grandmother and my son, it took years for me to unravel from all that. Certain memories come back. And I just, it was three years ago maybe, remember the next story. And that was walking in the parking lot with Justin. Because get him in the sun, I mean, you can't sit in a, inside of a room all day. It becomes like its own little prison and it, it impacts you. So you start taking a walk. And people would call the cops on me. I'm walking around with a dead baby. Can I tell you that the moment that memory broke free in my head, it was like a big breath of fresh air. It was weird. I was in the middle of a talk and I just, oh. It's things you sort of compartmentalize. So back to the weight. There's a lot of reasons that people don't donate, right? It's about signing up. So Justin gets the call August 7th, 2003, and his donor was a 10-year-old boy who drowned in Tampa. And they bring Justin a big piece of the liver. Put the liver in Justin, and it was too big. So, and it's 
deliver sits here, right? And the piece they put in was just, it was huge. They didn't realize the importance of the size then. So when he came out of surgery, he had like this green mesh over and they just kept it up. He was in ICU for about six weeks, then hospital visits. And then a series of events starts to take place that is just sort of magical. Now let's go back to the waiting room. I'm gonna to talk to you. Why don't we get a trigger sandwich? We'll get into that. Okay, so I wanna to talk to you about purpose and micro choices, right? And little, how there are no accidents. So we get the call, they tell us the surgery is gonna take 17 hours. Okay. So we had to stay at the Howard Johnson's across the street from Jackson. I don't know if you guys have ever been down in South Miami. Jackson is in the hood. It's right across the street from the jail. It's, 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 I mean, it's Liberty City. It's just the hood. And for those of you who've been to the hood, know what the hood's like. For those of you who haven't been to the hood, then you probably don't want to know what it's like. But I had grown up in that atmosphere, but never been in a place where I couldn't get my head right. And they're telling us to go across the street in the Howard Johnson to get some sleep. And I couldn't get sleep in my house if I wanted to. But I'm going to go across the street with hookers getting beat up and gunshots going off. Crackheads asking me if I want to hit on the way home. Like, man, if I have a, hit a crack, I'm going to go kill these doctors, buddy. The crackheads are looking at me like, <laughs> because it's that weight, the kind of stress you're going through. Justin stopped eating. He's in the hospital for two weeks because he just filled up. So we realized that the Howard Johnson wasn't going to work and go back to the waiting room. I'm about 12, 13 hours in there. I'm sitting in the waiting room. I'm pretty stressed out. I'm just sitting and sitting and sitting, and the guy walks by and taps me on the shoulder and goes, oh, it's just a liver. Uh -oh. Yeah, yeah, so now here's Hollywood. Okay, and I jump up, and I jump, <laughs> I was angry. In fact, then at the, at the hospital, people were, the, the bums would ask you for money and, and just want to get in your way and try to stop you. And, and listen, man, when, when your kid's sick and you're already hormonal and a little crazy, it's not a good atmosphere to get in the way. And this guy's gonna tap me on the shoulder and tell me it's just an organ? Man, I jump up. Okay, now I'm gonna be real with you right now. The longer and more I tell you this story, the bigger this guy gets. I think I remember him as like 6'3", 280 pounds, but I'm not sure. But by the grace of God, I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, my name's Daryl, and I'm here with my daughter, and she's here getting three organs transplanted. Okay, there are no accidents. And one thing, if you guys follow me on my social media stuff or you ever see me again, um, we're talking about any of the real deep, crazy stuff that you've been through, there's always, always, always times around you while you're going through it that God will or the universe will put things around you to keep you remembering that it can always be worse. They're not meant to make you feel bad about your stuff. They're just there to check you. And that's what Big Daryl was about. Okay, because big country, not only is he there with getting his daughter with three organs, but he's from Texas. I can no longer be pissed off about driving back and forth, <laughs> making sure my work's done in school. I got to drive 35 minutes from Hollywood to Miami. Not the, <laughs> okay. Now, no more drama with Daryl. Nothing else happens. His, girls, his girl lived. Justin obviously did great. So you see, he's older here. Not for nothing, he's high as right here. Like, how you feeling, Justin? He's like, ah, oh, Pops, I'm good. Oh. All right, great. But while we're here, 
is because, remember the liver that was too big? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, main word adults in here, when you poop, it goes up and over and down. Okay. Now, that happens through a wave, but the organ was too big. So, every time the tube would move and get around here, there'd be pain. Pretty simple. Can I tell you that there wasn't a physician on the east coast of the United okay. States that could figure that out? And he couldn't tell us. And he's pooping a lot and a lot and a lot because of the transplant. And in the transplant world, when the kid with GI stuff, I can't tell you, you become the inspector. The color of the poop, does it float, does it stink, what does it look like? So it just, this was our life. But then you see him in some pain, so now you start searching. Can't find, no one can help us. And the transplant world is small. You can't get pissed off at a doctor in Miami and go to New York because they all train together and spend years living together. They're likely going to be laughing over the phone. Ah, oh, yeah, she's crazy. Ah, oh, you can have her. Point is, is that no one could figure out why. Tests and scans and all this stuff, nothing. So, while I was in school at this particular time in my life, I was a running, I was a director of a trade school, I was a massage therapist, I was doing some online teaching. Um, and I was trying to graduate college. <laughs> As this chaos started to unravel, somehow in my life I ended up owning a landscape company. That's about here. Okay, why is that important? It's not really. Friday afternoon I get a call from the ex. Hey, I found a guy who can see us. It's the one who originally diagnosed Justin, but he's in Dallas, Texas. Okay, when are we going? Well, we gotta be there Monday. I got a landscape company, man. I'm digging. Okay. Later on, I realized the landscape company wasn't for Joel, but at the time, I'm digging. I'm working my ass off. Okay. <laughs> and it's Friday. Now, I talked about micro choices and purpose and how there are no accidents. Okay. They say that we, our brains, are conditioned to make almost 80,000 decisions a day. Okay. We can argue about the research. It doesn't matter. I'll argue with you that there's 100. There's been 500 since we talked, but every billboard that goes by in the, during the day, your brain, your subconscious has to say no. I put my coffee down, it has to say no. I hold this up, some of you in your brain are thinking, I don't need it, I do need it, I don't want it, I'm not gonna get it, thousands of choices. Friday evening, I'm done shoveling, I gotta go home. Get changed, X is getting Justin ready, we're getting ready to go to Dallas, get the rental, and I'm thinking in my head, <laughs> I gotta get in a car with a sick kid and my ex, for two days? <laughs> like, you know God's got a sense of humor. So, the decisions. Am I going to pack this? Am I not going to pack this? Am I going to, you know, extra time in the shower? Not extra time in the shower. Getting gas. All the way there. The decisions. Pulling over, not pulling over. The, she liked to smoke cigarettes, so we get off for that. Whatever. Monday morning, we get to the hospital when we're supposed to. We'll get inside for the appointment. And big country Daryl is sitting in the office. There's no way that that could be coincidental. Huh. It just, there's just way too many. And if, and if there is, even if, if it's, it's not God that did that or it's the universe that did that, something greater than the way I can plan it put us in that same room together. And it illustrates now that there's more to it. So, So communication, 
Minorities and myths. So somebody earlier asked um, about whether or not money can get you a transplant. Okay, I can tell you that the money in the medicine, the money is in the medicine. It's not in the actual cutting. Justin's transplant was 750 grand. And can I tell you that they forgot the bill for it? Wow. They forgot. Whoops. But we pay 60 grand a year. Well, the insurance pays 60 grand a year in meds. So it's not worth it to steal an organ here. The black market for organs isn't necessarily in the stealing of them, it's in the selling of them. Because there is a specific community that's impacted the most when it comes to selling organs, and it's not those that have a lot of money. And people who are broke and have families to feed, um, and it's not really a big deal in this country, but in countries like India, um, there's an epidemic of people selling a kidney or part of their liver. You're going to be in, a fire, in the back of a fire truck getting your organs snatched? Okay, I'm going to preface this next part of the conversation with I, am, I got jokes, okay? <laughs> and I am around a lot of, I've been around and I'm around today a lot of the worst things that can happen in the world. From growing up in the violence back in the day to I'm a, um, I'm a volunteer wish grantor for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Like I, I'm around some magical stuff, but it's real. I say that because I can come off like an insensitive sometimes, especially with my wife, who's a firefighter. Mm -hmm. And it's not once or twice a week that she doesn't come back from work and I got a joke. <laughs> she sees it, I'm like, babe, how's work? She's like, I was all right. I was like, listen, you know, it's the first of the month coming. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, you know, a couple kidneys, <laughs> half an or half a liver. She's like, what? <laughs> Let's make that money. Ha, ah, you're so funny, Joanna. She looks at me like I'm crazy, and I am a little crazy. But the point is, is can, can you imagine these firefighters hearing the buzzer and they're getting in the truck, they pick up somebody who's on the side of the street, and they're checking your wallet, or they're setting up something on the side for some organs? If you get caught up in some kind of crazy situation like that, man, there's bigger things in life to look at. But in reality, you're not getting your stuff taken like that. And I wrote in here earlier about triggers. We're talking about triggers, and um, I put it's hard in healthcare culture. Listen, I have Donate Life tattooed on this arm. I've got um, a big Buddha on this arm that talks about organ donation. You can't be around me for three seconds or know that I'm not about, but it'd be really hard for me to still be a donor. Because if I go into the hospital and I get sick and die, for my organs to be used, they still need two independent doctors to come in and say, yep, he's dead, his organs are viable. And in a system that's built with people just like you and I, efficiency and effectiveness is not usually the focus, and the organs just go to waste. Now hopefully there's a time when Justin's kids aren't gonna need this, the technology being a place where we don't need donors anymore. But right now we do. 80 something percent of the people on the list are minorities. My personal belief is that that is a mirror of a distrust. I mean, why would I want to give up something that's mine? Mm 
a system that hasn't really been very nice to me. For real. And we can get into the conversation all day that inside him is inside of everyone else, but really when it comes to color, minorities are on the list the most, but when it comes to color and manipulating the system, I've only heard of it happening once. If you guys ever see me again, I'll always keep it real with you. And you guys have all heard of Steve Jobs? Okay. University of Tennessee, uh, he needed a liver transplant. Okay. He had to wait on the list like everybody else. Okay. But he was going to die if he waited on the list like everybody else. And then all of a sudden, got a donor. Got a donor. And then all of a sudden, the hospital got a $40 million endowment. And then the hospital got caught because this is not just a hospital decision because if you let money run that, then it's a problem. This is a federal program and the hospital got snatched off that list for the organ procurement list. Cost the hospital a lot of money. I'd be interested to see later if it cost the hospital more or less than 40 million, but that's the only place I've heard of it. The other side of the corrupt is, you guys who know who Alonzo Mourning is? No. Okay, he had a kidney transplant. He was on the list, I think a year and a half, two years or something, and then all of a sudden found a cousin who became a donor. I don't mean to be judgy. If I had Steve Jobs' money, I would have done the same thing. I told you I was about to take somebody else's when it came time for his. And if I was so, I would do the same thing. But that's in the manipulation of it. People shouldn't have to do that. They have to do that because people don't want to communicate. You don't get to be buried with them. Okay? So, you asked about triggers earlier. Even if you're in a hospital and you die, um, the doctor's got to get to you. We have, they have to get organs in the right place at the right time. Okay, the culture it has to be the nurses, staff, doctors. It has to be on the brain. It has to happen inside of a department that deals with death a lot. Age is becoming less of a factor. All of you have been impacted or will be impacted by somebody with cancer, specifically age. And breast cancer, they're finding that the senior citizens that are donating tissue, the tissue can be used underneath the breast. Radiation destroys breast tissue. Makes it very difficult for the recovery process. This is changing reincidence rate by 60%. And you, you don't get to be buried with your organs the way you might think. The funeral homes have a process called treating. You don't believe what I'm about to say, Miami-Dade College, the director of the funeral directing program, his name is Joe Finicaro. Big, giant ginger, weird dude. One of my best friends from school for 30 years. Listen, I'm critical, like you guys should be, especially those of you who aren't donors. Listen, I wanted to know what happens to the organs. If I want to be buried with them, and that's my wish, then I should have my wishes respected. Oh yeah, we do that. Well, we have a process called treating. They take them out of your chest while they clean the rest of you out and they put them in a bag and they put them back in your chest. Okay, now, whether you believe in karma or the universe or God, I would imagine that whatever it is that created you is all good, all loving, all knowing, and at some point we pay a price for the life we live or we get paid back for the life we live. Okay? You can't tell me, you have a hard time arguing with me the fact that you could be at that end of life place 
and have to do a checklist of what went on in your life and you had the ability to impact eight people, save eight people's lives, or impact another 250 with things that you can't use that are going back on the ground, you probably would have done it. That's the generic argument, right? Let me ask you this. If it was somebody in your family, would you become a donor? What if you and somebody else in your family were in a car accident? What if I told you that half your liver grows back? You know, I cut half your liver out today, you give it to Justin, and it grows back. You're more likely to become a donor? If you are, then you need to follow that logic and see why you're not a registered donor. If you're not, and you wouldn't because you feel that they are yours or you don't want, you have, you know, um, you, you some cognitive stuff where you feel like you're going to be chopped up. You need to know why. Because this is about leaving a legacy. This is about changing the lives. This is about giving somebody sight maybe or a heartbeat. Um, and for those of you who are donors, here's the trick in it, right? This is a death and dying class, okay? How, I mean, this January just started probably week three or four right now, okay? You've obviously had the discussion about end-of-life choices, okay? You can't meet Dr. Straub without having the thought process about end-of-life choices, okay? We are all going to be there. At some point in your life, you and your family are going to have a talk about end-of-life choices. And this is where you get to impact that, because it's either going to be over a table or it's going to be over a bed. And I'm not preaching to you here. I might sound a little preachy, but my grandfather passed away recently. Family's still not all about organ donation. They were all about organ donation at the walks and the talks and, oh, yeah, Joel, it's great organ donation. But when it came to my grandfather passing, they didn't want to talk about it. End-of-life stuff rattles people. But your goal, if you don't do anything else, is to make sure that your family and your friends and those people that care about you are not around your deathbed or some kind of crazy catastrophic situation arguing about whether or not you're going to be a donor. My family knows. I ended up in a wheelchair. Or I'm, I'm, I'm just not Joel anymore, and I'm drooling. I need to have my diaper changed. Take the wheelchair, loosen up the brake, let me float into the pool. And if you don't do it, I'm going to freaking haunt you. I tell it to him, and I tell it to anybody else around me. And they have a little bit of the same look you guys are having. But, listen, I mean, death is one of life's inevitabilities people to to um, think about that they think if they talk about it it's going to happen right so yeah, they're just going to put it out there until they're in this position they really don't want to think about it yeah. and that's why organ donation has always been hard to it's it's hard to convince people how important it is because 
they don't see it or do it every day. It's a big deal. And money would fix most of these problems. Obviously, one of the biggest things in the news right now, and I'm not trying to get this conversation started, but is that $5 billion wall. For $111 million, you can build a building at University of Miami that can tomorrow start practicing building, making organs with stem cells on 3D printed machines. They do it in Dallas. The Israelis are doing it. That's right. There's no real reason there should be minorities on the list more than others. What's amazing are the people who are organ donators like myself that's never had, never been in this situation. Of course, I'm different because I'm in the field. But people like you, you're an organ donor. And what was the reason for it? See, that's what I mean. Sometimes people become organ donators and they there was no, no reason. Those the atmosphere I grew up in, um, my boys and I, we didn't really think about living past 20, 22 years old. <laughs> so organ donation was a joke. Like the future, like even until him. I wasn't thinking about it. That was a real eye awakener, that. Yeah. And I couldn't be a donor because I was fighting thyroid cancer. Mm. You learn a lot of interesting things that way. Here's a question for you. In Europe, in many countries, they have an opt-out law where you're a donor until you say no. I feel I'm a, I, I have both sides of that. I don't really like to be told what to do, like really in any circumstances, um, even if it's for my best interest. Um, and it's still my choice. I don't agree with you if you don't want to be a donor, but that's still your choice. It's your decision. And, you know, and when you're born, you don't have that choice then. But it saves lives. And there's 20 people a day dying. 10 people a day added to the list because there's not enough organs, but there are enough organs. They're just not being put in the right place. Most of them are being put in the garbage. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to give up my life, even in a certain, I mean, if I'm sick, sickly, mm -hmm. and can't say, At the end of the day, this becomes about not only just organ donation, but it becomes about your purpose, about your legacy, about how you want to impact the people around you, how you want to impact lives after you're gone, what you're going to do with the gifts that you've been given. If you've made a decision in your life to not become an organ donor, then at the very least, you should make sure that that decision is supported with facts and scholarly research that has gone through a peer review process so you know you're not making a decision about impacting the lives of the people around you based on myths, ideas, and fear. Because you have a chance to 
impact 250 people and save the lives of eight more. You're talking about on your way out, on your way to the next level. You are leaving someone the gift of sight or the gift of a heartbeat or the breath or, um, you know, uh, their ability to eat again or taste food. You know, um, it's a huge deal. And it's not one that should be taken lightly. And it's not one that, not a decision that should be made when um, you're uninformed. And no matter what, you're going to have to have the talk. Your end-of-life choices are not uh, something that you can just push aside because you're going to have the talk either over a table or over a bed. And the choice is yours. And I know that most of you would rather leave that choice to your family and friends and those that care about you. Um, You want to leave them in a situation where they can just grieve or they can be supportive. They don't have to worry about fighting over what your wishes are. Communicate it. Let people know. Have a talk. All of you have thought about it. What's going to happen when you die? Talk to your people. Have a great day. Stay grateful. Subscribe, listen, follow. Dynamicimpact.co. Share the podcast. Share your impact. Have a great day.